Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guests are Adrian Macias, who shot the incredible photo of Christian Pulisic and the U.S. men's national team in that game against Mexico, and David Leah, the owner of the Mex Sport Photo Agency. I think you'll really enjoy that one. We've had some great guests lately, including Alexis Ohanian, Vladko Andonovsky, and Melissa Ortiz, so check those out. But first, let's talk some soccer with my friend Chris Whittingham, who you can hear on Univision, Inter-Miami Radio, the Dan Lebitard Show, and the Chelsea Miked Up podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you? Just absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of international football on. We're recording this as the Copa America begins. We're not even going to talk about Copa America because we just don't have time. Apologies to Copa America fans. We will later on in this tournament, maybe even later this week, uh, be discussing Copa America. We're recording this around 5 p.m. on Sunday, coming out Monday morning. And lots to talk about. Um, from the Euros, mainly, which have just started. And look, we, we'll talk about the soccer aspects, but we got to start with the most important story of the weekend. And, and thankfully, Christian Eriksen looks like he's going to be okay. But that was one of the most frightening things I have ever seen at a, at a sporting event I was watching. Uh, Christian Eriksen of Denmark against Finland in their opening match on Saturday collapses on the field, ends up uh, having defibrillators uh, come and, and, and basically save his life. Um, and Christian Eriksen is a guy that if you if you follow this sport, you know very well. Uh, just a tremendous player over the years, not just for the Danish national team, but for Tottenham Hotspur, I think is where a lot of people got to know him. He's with Inter now, just won a championship there. One of the more creative players we've seen emerge over the last decade and just so so glad that it looks like he's going to be okay yeah I mean I actually felt like Denmark Finland was one of the games that I can skip I was just kind of enjoying a Saturday afternoon in the pool and next thing you know you know my my texts are flooded with oh my god this is harrowing from even people I mean the Euros given that it gets such a prominent place on ESPN, um, it's kind of like it becomes one of those events that people just watch because it's on. And so even I got texts from friends who aren't normally massive football viewers who were just like, I cannot believe that I tuned into a sporting event and I might be watching a guy dying. And I don't think we're kind of confronted with how harrowing and how possible that might be. I was reminded yesterday of the University of Florida basketball player that just fainted in the middle of the court and they somehow pressed on. There was issues with COVID there as well. I mean, you think of Fabrice Muamba as well for Bolton Wonders who collapsed on a, on, on a field at White Hart Lane nine years ago. And it's a remote chance, but it's possible, right? I mean, we also think about devastating head injuries like the ones that have happened recently to Raul Jimenez of, Me- of Mexico and of uh, Ryan Mason when he was playing for, for Wolves as well. Um, or, I'm sorry, Hull. And, you know, these sorts of traumatic things can happen in front of your eyes. And I don't think I've ever seen, and particularly the way that the match was directed, which has certainly come under intense scrutiny, you're, you're really given a, a a passenger seat view on, you might be watching a guy dying. And to have experienced that, it's just so harrowing. And so many thoughts go through your head about, you know, what Christian Eriksen means just kind of in our, you know, in, in a footballing context, what he means as a person to clearly to his teammates, Kasper Schmeichel and Simon Kerr, the 
two main leading figures in the Denmark team were clearly distraught. The decision to keep on playing. So many things are kind of jumping off points as a result of what happened. But ultimately, the major takeaway is we almost just watched a guy die. And that was traumatic to watch in real time. Yeah. I give credit to the medical professionals who saved Christian Eriksen's life. Uh, The team doctor from Denmark came out on Sunday and said we had lost him. For a, for a moment there, mm-hmm. you know, we needed the defibrillators um, to turn it around. And you also realize very quickly how much more important that is than any game that's going on. And I hope everyone keeps that in mind as we go on to talk more about the games themselves in this podcast episode. But, um, you know, I'm not going to speculate on Christian Erickson's future in the game because I don't know what that's going to be. I don't think anyone really knows for sure yet. My guess is he'll undergo a lot of tests. Um, but, you know, just from every description I've ever heard of Christian Erickson, good guy, good teammate, um, special player, obviously, too. And uh, you're just happy that he's still with us today. And, um, you know, hats off to the Danish players um, who, uh, you know, kind of formed a circle around Christian Eriksen to prevent cameras from capturing all of what happened on Saturday and were clearly emotional themselves. I, I don't like the fact that they um, were put in a position where they had to play afterward. They ended up losing the game for what that's worth. But just I, I, I look at some of the history here in UEFA – coming out and saying, well, the players decided they wanted to do this. Um, One, I don't ever buy that totally in that situation. And as it was explained after the game, UEFA basically said to the players and the teams, you're either going to play tonight or you're going to play tomorrow at noon. And so put in that position, the players chose to play last night. But I also don't think you should put that decision in the hands of players um, in that situation because players – will often make that decision no matter what. I I was thinking back a little bit to when the Borussia Dortmund bus suffered a terrorist attack on its way to a Champions League uh, game, and uh, UEFA made them play the game the next day. None of those players wanted to play that game. And and I understand there's television contracts, things like that, but sometimes humanity and doing the right thing, I think, is uh, the better way to go. Yeah. I mean, that that terrorist attack incident is so poignant because, I mean, every single one of those... I mean, this was a, a complete freak accident where one player just, you know, who had no previous signs of any heart issues, you know, I, I just looked it up to make sure. It didn't have COVID, so there was no kind of uh, issues there. Just a completely random accident. I mean, that Dortmund situation was... There was someone who was trying to kill everyone on Borussia Dortmund and go play football in 24 hours. Like, these are very cold decisions and... You know, unfortunately, a lot of these football governing bodies, UEFA in this in this instance, has been kind of the one that's come in for criticism. But look, Coleman Bowl is playing in Copa America right now, and which probably shouldn't be happening given the COVID and political situation in the entire continent. Um, and you know, Venezuela is being asked to play a game tonight with 13 players out due to COVID, and they basically had to field a domestic league side against Brazil. Now, I mean, look, maybe by the time you hear this, Venezuela has pulled off some incredible result, but that's not any like this is the ultimate. I mean, the whole year really has been the ultimate. The show must go on year in every domestic league and every you know 
international tournament. So I guess this isn't really that much of a surprise, but it just shows a stunning lack of humanity, as you said. So we'll be thinking about Christian Eriksen, obviously, throughout this tournament and beyond. Uh, the tournament is continuing, and uh, and we've had some games uh, since then, obviously. Uh, we just finished watching Netherlands 3, Ukraine 2. Absolutely wild game in which the Netherlands looked like they had this game put away. They were up 2-0. Out of nowhere, Ukraine gets back in it, ties it up at two, including uh, one goal, just a wonder strike from Andriy Yarmolenko. And late, 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 the Netherlands get the winner. Uh, not great defending on all three goals that uh, <laughs> that Ukraine conceded, but uh, give some credit. I was, you know, Frank De Boer was in a situation there where if, if that had finished two-two, uh, old Frank might have gotten some stick. Well. I actually, I would not have been among the people giving Frank DeBoer some stick <laughs> because my ultimate criticism of Frank DeBoer is that his teams are dreadfully boring. And I have to tell you, from minute one, this match was the opposite of boring. Yep. I yep. mean, as fun, I mean, the Netherlands were enterprising. They created chances. What a fun game. And yeah. the, the Netherlands expressed themselves. They played great stuff for the full 90 minutes. Now, did they have a soft center after going 2-0 up? 100%. But in terms of like what I was thinking about heading into the tournament about DeBoer, that would be the criticism, right? I don't think like anyone was criticizing the Netherlands' ability to defend or having a soft center. It was more that, well, you're playing out of a out of a back three as opposed to our traditional 4-3-3 system. There's a plane fro- flown over the Amsterdam arena saying, play in a 4-3-3, would you please? Like It was more... They were boring. They didn't create chances. They didn't score goals. And the Netherlands came out, and I thought were sensational. So I'll give them credit for that. Hopefully, for their sake, their defending will improve. But also, you have to credit Ukraine there because at the in the first kind of quarter of an hour, they really went after it. And then when 2-0 down, they went after it again and got some decent goals. So I actually wouldn't have left this game with criticism of De Boer. But yeah, I think for his sake and given the pressure that is on him, given his previous stops, given how bad it's been in World Cup qualifying under De Boer, he needed a win today and he got it in the end. Yeah, I, I do think the Netherlands have a nice advantage here. They get to play two of their three group games at home um, in front of their home fans. And we've had fans back in the stands in Europe this week, which is nice. Um, but this game was a blast from the start. It was just back and forth, both teams throwing haymakers, not a lot of defending, and then zero goals in that first half, which was wild. Then the goals come in the second half, which wasn't as back and forth. So it's it's a funny old game sometime. But, um, you know, that was the second straight game on Sunday, I thought, where neither team played conservatively, and those kind of games are fun to watch for the neutral uh, I don't know if people had great expectations for Austria, North Macedonia, but it was also a fun game to watch because, uh, you know, both teams came to play. Uh, it was 1-1 for a good portion of this game. Pandev scores for uh, sort of the Cinderella team of the tournament, North Macedonia, to make it 1-1. And then, you know, Austria just, uh, you know, came on, uh, in this game and, and kind of put him away. David Alaba showing his quality on the go-ahead goal, just a terrific uh, pass uh, on the goal that put him ahead. You know, I don't know if Austria is going to be that good in this tournament, but that was an enjoyable game to me. And I thought that North Macedonia deserves some credit for how they played. Yeah, and I do want to kind of hit on your larger point, which is that 
this is way more fun when both teams go for it because I think we've kind of mostly seen seen the and, and it's funny because like Chris Coleman in the ESPN studio and Steve McManaman in the ESPN studio are all about just don't lose your first game just don't lose your first game and in my opinion all the teams that have set up to do that have mostly not succeeded like Wales eventually got a result against Switzerland but only after being thoroughly outplayed and going one nil down against the Swiss. And then they come out of their shell, and then, what do you know, they get a goal. Um, Turkey tried to set up that way away, uh, you know, against Italy. They were awful. They got run off the park. Like, I don't know if this tactic is really working that much. I don't know if, given the progression of the style of the European club game, as even teams that, you know, come up from the championship into the Premier League, that come up from lower leagues across Europe, still want to go into the, div- in, into the top division and play, if there really are that many players that are capable of setting up in a low block and and defending, and also given how many teams are trying to now play progressive football, how good teams are now at unlocking those types of teams. And so I, I really hope that this leads to that maximum kind of changing that, you know, tournament football in the group stages. I have to be honest, there were times in this weekend where it was painful to watch. I mean, like the, like the first half of that Wales-Switzerland game was not entertaining at all, which is why when the Netherlands and Ukraine start as they do, it's like a spark plug landed on the field. Like it was, oh my God, this is this is what I kind of recognize most weekends in club football. I want to see this kind of game. And so I savored every minute of that game. So I, I just hope that the teams that have not gone for it, have not gone for it and been punished for it, now see the error of their ways, I hope. Yeah, that Wales-Turkey game in particular, the first 50 minutes, basically, until Turkey scored... Switzerland. I'm sorry, Switzerland, yeah. yeah. Wales didn't didn't do anything. I Nothing. mean, like, and, and suddenly the goal is conceded, and oh, wait, they can do something with the ball. Yeah, it's almost like Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey are on the field, and Daniel James is one of the most exciting wingers, and, like, the attacking players that they have to be able to do stuff is profound, yet they just have no desire to do it. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned the opener, uh, Italy 3, Turkey nil, and disappointing from Turkey just because that was a team I, I kind of looked at as a dark horse coming in. Doesn't mean they can't still be one, but uh, they performed well in World Cup qualifying earlier the er, earlier this year, had a nice win against the Dutch. Um, and I do hope they approach their upcoming games you know, with a bit more, they're going to have to, I would think, with a bit more desperation of like, look, we got to get points out of these games now and play a game that I know that Turkey is capable of. Um, Italy, I don't want to like get too high on them just because of this one game. But like, I think if you're an Italy fan, that's a pretty encouraging start to the tournament. Oh, 100%. I mean, the notion, and, and I, I've, I've been stunned about this all weekend since John Champion first introduced on the ESPN broadcast that they've never scored more than two goals at a <laughs> game at the Euros? That's stunning. That's completely stunning. This is like, right. what, you know, this is a side that's won the World Cup multiple times, and they never scored more than two at the Euros? So the the quality of the play and some of the individual players, like I will admit to not watching a ton of Serie A, so watching a player like Spinazzola get forward down that left-hand side, he was amazing. I've always loved Lorenzo Insigne, so I wasn't surprised there, but Nicolo Barella and, and, and all these guys were amazing. Jorginho controlling the game in midfield. That, like, an international game feels like Jorginho's speed, right? It's a bit slower. The game's not as hectic as it is in the Premier League, and you can see the class that oozes through Jorginho in the middle. So, uh, definitely, Italy was great in terms of their progressive style. I just think, like, in terms of not getting ahead of your station here, if you're you're Italy, it is 
really the defensive spine in the central that worries me. I fear if they play France because mm-hmm. of their of their speed and wide areas. If all of right. a sudden, you know, Spinazzola gets forward or Florenzi gets forward uh, and all of a sudden it's left to a defensive spine of Bonucci, Chiellini, and Jorginho, there's not a lot of pace there. There is not a lot of pace there. So they're kind of cunning and guile is going to have to be what gets them through. But I think they're kind of vulnerable to a team with with pace. It's just Turkey offered absolutely none of that. Really until Cenk Sunder came on, changed the game a little bit. But uh, I, I think... Their, their, their test is still to come in this tournament. You know, I put up my picks on my Twitter uh, before the kickoff of the first game, and I'll be straight. I put a lot of stock in teams playing at home, and, and we'll see if that ends up coming true or not. You know, Denmark ends up losing at home, but circumstances very different, yeah. obviously, in that game. Russia, playing at home against Belgium, loses 3-0, and I, I do think... Belgium was one of those teams that is just so good that yeah. I, I actually did. I did pick Belgium to, to win this group and, um, or did I, I picked them to advance. I don't think I picked them to win the group, but like, I feel good about Belgium. I feel good about, um, Kevin De Bruyne coming back into this tournament, making a positive impact. And I feel very good about Romelu Lukaku, uh, yeah. a, a guy who, uh, you know, quite a few people are, are picking to win the Golden Boot, I think for good reason. This is a guy coming off a terrific club season in great form, and he's the guy that they rely on the most to score. Yeah, I mean, Romelu Lukaku, I think is kind of now becoming underrated a little bit, and maybe this is a very Anglo-centric perspective. I don't know if anyone who follows Syria thinks he's underrated. I know that Nicky Bandini on the Guardian pod every week that they do like a European roundup is like, Lukaku, 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 you have to be watching this guy. Obviously, Roberto Martinez on the CBS broadcast, they kind of have this running gag about how he thinks he's the best center forward in the world, and anytime Lewandowski does anything, it's, oh, you still think that about Lukaku? Yes, I do. So the people who have been watching him in Italy for a couple of years now, know this, but he's brilliant. And Belgium, I think, in their first 11, have just about enough to really contend. I picked them to win the whole thing because I just think at some point a generation this good deserves its reward, and I think that Belgium can do it this year. But I think if you have another one of these injuries, look, they're dealing with Axel Witzel out. I imagine at some point that will be you know, hurtful to them, particularly if they can't get De Bruyne back and playing at his best quickly. So they always are going to attack brilliantly. Martinez now has that back three system that allows them to get numbers forward and have a platform to attack from. So and I think he's been a really good manager of this side. But... Yeah, I mean, L- Lukaku is at the center of it. If you have a center forward who's scoring goals like that, already kind of the the, the early favorite to be the golden boot winner, you're going to have a really good chance to progress in a tournament. One other game I want to mention, obviously, is England-Croatia. England wins 1-0 in Wembley. I have England and Belgium getting to the final in this tournament, in part because I think England has a good team. Obviously, we just talked about Belgium, but also because England, if they get to the final, will play likely six of seven games at Wembley, which is a huge advantage. Uh, And yet in this game against Croatia, rematch of the World Cup semifinal from 2018, it seems like these teams play each other all the time. (laughs) Um, And it was a little conservative at times in this game from both teams. You felt like just even the lineup selection a little odd from Gareth Southgate. We saw Trippier starting at left back, Luke Shaw not starting at left back. and, you know, just, you know, Jaden Sancho, not in the squad. Chilwell, not in the squad. Um, 
and yet they get the three points. Nice goal from Raheem Sterling. Um, Phillips, terrific game, I thought. And um, so, you know, I think it's the first time England's ever won their first game at the Euro. Yeah. There's some weird historical Euro <laughs> stats from this weekend. Particularly from, like, and, major footballing nations, right? Yeah, and in Croatia, to me, looked a little... You know, on the downside, obviously still some terrific players on that team led by Luka Modric, um, but not quite what we saw at World Cup 2018. And, and they drew a really difficult schedule. They have had to play England at England in Wembley. They're going to have to play Scotland in Glasgow. Um, and at this point, if you're Croatia, I, I think you're just hoping to advance out of the group at this point. Yeah, and I, I think, look, Given what Croatia, you know, population 4 million in general, what they should be peaking with reaching the World Cup final is about as good as you're going to do. So they should have no reservations about, oh, look, maybe their peak generation is kind of going on the on the downturn a little bit. Um, but look, I, they're still a strong team and England had difficult opposition to beat today, which is why I really honestly find the Gareth Southgate criticism so confusing. Like he all of a sudden kind of became like this avatar for stodgy old school British managers that don't know how to coach the modern game that makes mistakes all the time that doesn't know what he's doing you know old waistcoat over there like he thinks you know he'll he'll bring the game back and doesn't play all his flair players I think Gareth Southgate's a really good tournament manager and has given us no evidence to the contrary like they played really well in the Nations League group stage they reached the World Cup semifinal when people thought, I mean, look, they'll be lucky to get to the round of 16. Uh, and they've mostly delivered on expectations. I don't get the criticism. And if you look at his major calls today, I mean, the Kieran Tripper, the, the Kieran Trippier thing probably could have gone better. And look, maybe with a natural left back, but I don't think they were like missing a ton in that area. Raheem Sterling was still able to have joy down that left-hand side. That was a real concern that if you don't play a left-footed player, then the left winger can't have joy. I, I Sterling was probably the best player on the pitch today. If not for Calvin Phillips, which has been a big call of his playing two holding midfielders. God, the number of conversations. I did not think that when I got into, you know, following soccer that I'd listen to all these British podcasts and they'd bang on about playing two holding midfielders as if this is some four <laughs> concept in the oh my god he's playing two holding midfielders how could he Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips who by the way didn't even really play as a holding midfielder today he got forward and was box to box he was great I mean and what a what a choice to make by the way Calvin Phillips who's mostly been a championship player until this season he was brilliant today he plays a defense splitting pass for the goal so I think his big calls have come off and he mostly has managed tournament football I I honestly don't get the Gareth Southgate criticism yeah maybe they don't play the most scintillating football but I mean it's tournament football like it's really hard to get teams to play that way you know in every single game I also think Roberto Martinez is very underrated as a coach too and he gets a lot of static based on I guess how his last Everton team didn't defend much but uh, I, I think he's a terrific national team coach. I think Gareth Southgate's a very good national team coach, and I think both those teams will prove it. We've got a lot of soccer coming over the next month, which is going to be a lot of fun to watch and to keep up with, and we will continue to discuss all of it here on this podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Grant. Now, here's my interview with Adrian Macias and David Leo. <laughs> Our guests now are both terrific sports photographers, and they are connected to one of the most memorable U.S. men's national team photographs of all time. 
toward the end of the CONCACAF Nations League final between the U.S. and Mexico, Adrian Macias shot a remarkable photograph of Christian Pulisic celebrating with the rest of the U.S. team after Pulisic had converted the game-winning penalty. Adrian Macias joins me now with David Leah, the owner of their Sport photo agency. I've known David since 2007. David is here to help with interpretation as well as answer some questions about the photo in the industry. Adrian and David, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for the uh, invitation. So we're going to do this in English and Spanish, but we'll make sure that uh, the English listeners can understand here. Uh, for Adrian... Uh, this is a fantastic photograph. Congratulations. Could you explain where you were on the field, where you were located, and how you got this amazing shot? Sí, ¿qué tal? Buenos días. Muchas gracias por la invitación igual. Pues fíjate que en ese partido eh, nos tocó repartir... Uh, o sea, he's explaining the fact that... Um, in, in the event, as we were the official photographers for the event, uh, we had four photographers on the field, and his side was the side of the of the benches. And uh, as, as we always say, the sports photography does have a bit of luck involved as well. But um, he was on the lateral side, not behind the goal, where the um, um, signage boards are very high. So he had a clear view right through to to where they came to celebrate. So they had they had nothing in in the in between them to be able to um, spoil the photograph. So um, as we say, a little bit of luck's involved, but the the timing of his moment of shooting was um, extremely good. I mean, there there are a whole bunch of these photographs, but there's that one particular one which is the iconic shot which he shot, which is, a, is, a, is a, as you say, a very famous ph photograph now. And, uh, you know, in your life, a photographer only gets one, two, three, four, five, ten, maybe, in their entire life. So this is his uh, alma mater, let's say. Did you realize at the moment you shot the photograph that this could be a special one? No, realmente, pues, um, cuando anota el gol... Quite interesting, pues, actually, uh, Grant, be, because he's uh, explaining to me exactly how he took the picture, because normally we use long lenses uh, most of the time, and when uh, uh, something comes towards you, you tend to change the... Uh, the camera and lens because it's coming too close for a 400 millimeter lens, right? So uh, this is what happened. Uh, he started taking his shirt off after taking the penalty and as it was a 3-2 win, um, they started running very fast towards him. So he had to think quickly, put down his 400 and pick up his other uh, camera with other, another lens and he went rushing towards, roughly towards him a bit closer. So it filled up the entire frame uh, with the other lens. Um, so basically, it, it was a, a very good move on on his part, which made the photograph. So it, it's a um, great bit of thinking by him. And, uh, you know, we're all very proud of this photograph. Uh, I mean, I'd be super proud of it, that's for sure. I think you already answered this question a little bit, but... You know, has this photograph gotten more attention than any other photograph that you have taken before? Sí, realmente yo creo que de muchas 
Photos. Yeah, he's, just, he's saying that, yeah, it's, it's definitely the, the photograph that's caused more furore on the um, uh, social media uh, because on, on, he's had loads of requests on um, Instagram uh, about the photograph. And uh, it, one of the things that happened, actually, was when the goal was scored. And, of course, USA took over and there's virtually no more time for, for them to be, for Mexico to come back. Uh, he was um, doused in water, beers, whatever. They, they were just throwing everything onto the field. And um, it, it, he said it was quite, quite difficult because, you know, you have to look after your camera as well because if it gets wet, it, uh, it uh, gets ruined, you know. Uh, so it, it's the whole thing behind the photograph is um, a combination of, of um, having a good eye, um, having um, experience, on the field, you know, it's it's not every person that can shoot a picture like that. It's a lot of what's in here and the experience you have. So, um, yeah, I, I congratulate him on on this uh, great shot because um, it's not often that you get those pictures, and um, this is the one for him. I mean, he'll probably have some more in, in the gold, the upcoming Gold Cup. Maybe you never know when the US beat Mexico again. <laughs> <laughs> Vamos a ver. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, I want to ask both of you, uh, primero, first, Adrian, um, you know, what is, uh, how long have you been working as a sports photographer and how did you get into the business? Ah, qué bien, mira. The amusing part of all this is the fact that um, when I was working, uh, my agency was working with Mediotempo.com in Mexico, um, there was a, an opportunity for, to, to have a messenger who would go around and take all the information to the clients, etc., etc., and that was Adrian. So, um, little by little, I started realizing that uh, he, he started going to games with some of the other photographers and just, you know, trying to shoot pictures and... And um, we, we noticed that he had an eye for it, so we started taking him to games, uh, let's say, give him some equipment, and he started going to shoot some games, and, and little by little he just became a sports photographer from being a messenger, which was, is quite a, a feat, actually. I mean, I know, only know one other person who ever did that. Um, but uh, he, And he's turned out to be one of the top photographers in Mexico, if not in many parts of the world even, because um, shooting soccer isn't exactly the easiest um, uh, sport to shoot. Uh, some people think they shoot soccer, but they don't have the touch, and Adrian does, so um, that's why he's here with us. He joined round about that time and uh, 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 some of us went to the World Cup, me and some of the other guys. I mean, he, he hadn't the experience to go, to go with us, but um, he was shooting stuff while we were uh, uh, here in Mexico while we were at the World Cup. And um, so that's where he was helping us out a lot by shooting stuff we needed in Mexico at the time. And for you, David, could you explain a little bit about your history and, you know, going to Mexico from where you grew up and, and the agency that you've set up? <laughs> that got to be too long to explain. I'll, I'll do it real quick. Um, <laughs> I was um, um, in Mexico in 1980. 
and uh, that's when I first went to Mexico. And I was I was actually a, a photographer, for, scientific photographer, more than anything. And then um, in in 1985, uh, because the World Cup was coming up, I was trying to find a way of um, um, doing something with the World Cup, even though I didn't know anything about sports photography. So. Uh, I, I managed to get an accreditation for a quadrangle that, which was between U.S. Uh, sorry, between Mexico, Mexico, England, West Germany, and Italy, in the Essex Stadium. So I went in there, and I heard all these German voices, English voices, or and and so the I went up to an English photographer. I said, "Hey, I'm, I'm an English photographer living here in Mexico, and uh, wondering if." if uh, you guys are interested in doing a book. And he said, well, not me, mate. Um, <laughs> that, that guy over there is Dave Cannon. And Dave Cannon is like one of the all-time great soccer and golf photographers that uh, that all sport and then Getty have ever had, you know. So I chatted to him. And in the end, I, I was I became their agent. I became the agent of all sport in Mexico in, in 1985. So that's when I started practicing and, and shooting sport and and I decided I like that better than doing the other kind of sport photography so that's why I got into sports photography and so what I did was I learned off of all sport how to run an agency and uh, I took their um, way of working and that's how I created Mexport because once get uh, all sport got so- sold to Getty in 2000 I had to change the name of my agency so I, I, I was thinking all sport all sport Mexport so I just it just came up in a, in a fraction of a second, and that's how Mexport was was born, if you like, you know. So uh, we have an archive of um, you know over two million, two or three million photographs on online, and we have still have a physical archive which we just don't have time to to um, um, digitalize. We've done that quite a bit, but um, it's still a long way to go. But that's that's how Mexport started. That's how I started as a sports photographer. So. Also, is a slightly strange way I did it, like uh, Adrian. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for sharing. Um, and, and for and for Adrian, um, there, something strange happened with the credit for this photograph. So your photograph went viral last week, and I, I a lot of times on on Twitter, people don't give any credit to the photographer. And so there were some people asking who shot this and then a different name, the wrong name went viral, the name of another photographer from the same agency. And so that got amplified as the photo went viral and I I amplified it on my Twitter incorrectly. The U.S. soccer Twitter page did the same thing. And then it it came out a couple of days later that you, Adrian, were the photographer. Were you aware of all of this? Sí, mira, el... terminando el partido, la celebración. He didn't realize at, at the moment that that photograph was, was, was that photograph was going to go viral as it did, and uh, he kind of uh, uh, Christian actually said to him, you know, the photograph you took it's ended up on some some places with my name on it, and he said, oh, don't worry about it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You know, so um, now, now I think it does matter a bit more, no? Um, but uh, the thing is, there's, there's four of us there, um, me being in, in, in charge of, of them, and uh, Adrian's like, um, he's a bit older than the other guys. The two, I have two new photographers with us. Uh, they're very, very young. You know, one, one's even 20 years old, and 
I recognize that he has a lot of talent, so that's why I uh, decided to take him on this event to get him ready for the Gold Cup because the Gold Cup is a, like a long event, a, a long version of the event we did, which was only like two days with two games in each one. So I wanted to check to see if he was up to the standard to be able to, 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 to last throughout two games. Um, one after another, and he came through with flying colours, uh, Jonathan Duaneus. And of course, Christian de Marchena, well, he, he's been with us a bit longer, and uh, he's also very young, about 29, something like that. So, um, as I say, Adrian, even if he's only 36, I think he is, are he 36? <laughs> um, he has a lot of experience, you know, from he started very, very young, so he, he has um, um, progressed in, incredibly well. And uh, so, in the end, it was all um, he put it, the photograph up, up, up on his uh, Instagram with his name on it, so the people started realizing that the photograph was his. So, it's, it's, this is a good little spot here with. Uh, with you to to clear up the the real identity of the photographer of, of the this famous picture, you know, and and it I mean some people very think it's, it's it's crazy. Why why am I making so much fuss over one photo? But believe me, when you get a picture like that, you have to make a fuss of it because they're just they're just unique. And, and the other thing again, which is when I say a bit of luck coming involved, is the fact that there was there weren't any other photographers there. Right. Um, maybe there's one behind the boards, but he got all the boards in the front of the photograph, you know. So uh, as he was on the edge, he didn't have that problem. So that's why the picture came out so, so well. And um, well, that's that explains it, basically. I, I do want to say to you, Adrian, I am personally as someone on Twitter who did not put your name out and, and got that information wrong. I am sorry. Because, um, you know, thousands of people interacted with my tweet and I wish they had interacted with your name. So my apologies. Ah, okay. okay. <laughs> no, no te preocupes. Al contrario, Don't pues, worry, sí. really. <laughs> También gracias a ti. Yo creo que por eso explotó esa foto. <laughs> Yeah, thanks to you. This is probably the reason why the the, the, the photo went went viral. <laughs> um, and before I forget, what is um, what are all of your Instagram uh, handles names? Well, Adrian has his own one, and uh, we have an agency one. Um, so uh, maybe you saw it on the agency one because um, uh, the another young photographer we have, uh, he's expert in in um, the social media and he's the one in charge of putting up photographs uh on all the media platforms um i, I personally don't use twitter but he he's made a mexport twitter and uh, uh mexport facebook which we've had for a long time but we we only recently in the last um eight eight to twelve months started using the the social media um because i wasn't a great believer in it myself but now it's, it's got to be done um so uh, it was probably him who put the photograph up there, but I, I don't know how it got up there with Christian's name on it. I, I really don't know. I, I can tell you right now that uh, the Instagram handle for MexSport is MexSportAgency. Um, and the Instagram for Adrian Macias with us right now is Adrian Oasis, O-A-S-I-S. So check those out. Um Really appreciate you taking this much time. I, I do want to ask you, David, a, a specific question here because I've gotten a lot of questions on Twitter from 
U.S. men's national team fans who say, this is an iconic photograph. Can I buy this and blow it up and frame it in my house? Um, what's, what's the business side of this like? Is that even possible? Yeah, it, it's it's possible, but we tend not to do it so much because uh, you know there's probably a lot of lovely people out there who who are truthful about it, and they'll just uh, take the picture and they'll take it to their lab and blow it up and put it in their house. But then again, there are other people who do other things with the photographs, you know, like uh, commercializing and stuff like that uh, behind your back. So uh, we have a big problem where we are in a actual. Um, campaign against the piracy of, of sports photographers or for sports photographers especially us on, on the internet and it happens to everyone um including getty including everybody you know so but getty have their system to to sort it out so it's uh they're the most advanced but you know we, we still have these little like uh, kind of robot things which go through checking who's got pictures when they shouldn't have them and so um we can detect this but Actually, giving out photographs to to people to uh, do that is not not what we do. And I mean, if I was to say, well, okay, pay us one hundred and fifty dollars, and and we'll send you a photograph so you can blow it up. It's possible, but most people wouldn't want to pay that kind of money uh, to to be able to do it. So um, that's our stance on it, really. Yeah, I, I I'd be interested if it's possible to hear a little bit of how, I mean. Piracy is common in a lot of areas these days. I assume that's the case with sports, great sports photographs. Um, does that, like, you know, what can you do as a business? And does this stuff happen on like YouTube? Does this happen in just websites? Uh, what, like, what do you encounter? It happens. It happens everywhere, not just on websites, but in newspapers themselves. Uh, we found many, many um, photographs printed in in the uh, many areas of, of Mexico uh, because they just take it off uh, Google or um, it's mainly Google. But also we have other clients who pay the, the for the service and they have good um, quality um, uh, places where you can see the the pictures. So they like copy paste and then they use them, right? So. Uh, but the biggest one we've found recently is, is actually on YouTube, which the, the bloggers, um, this might be interesting to, to the bloggers that listen to you, actually, because many, many of them, I, I'm talking about, we've, we've found maybe 20, 30 so far that we, we are actually working with some of them now. Um, but there are hundreds of them out there, and they actually have admitted to us that they just slide the pictures off of Google and they stick them on their blogs. And I mean, there's a lot of them, a lot of photographs. You can find 20 or 30 photographs on one, sing one, one single um, vlog, if you want, a video blog, right? So what we do is we contact um, YouTube and we send our information, the fact that uh, with the exact minute where the photograph appears on the video, uh, and so they have a timeline of all our photographs that are on there, and they ask us for, do you have the photographs registered, etc., etc. Well, yeah, we have all our photographs registered, and they have a, a code number and everything. So uh, immediately they take the vi the video down, and if if the video blogger gets three strikes, 
they can actually take down the entire uh, channel, right? And it has happened to some, huh? and then we get these frantic phone calls from them and saying, well, look, we gave you a warning, you know, we've invited you to come and work with us. Uh, I mean, we don't charge that much to bloggers, to be honest, for the photographs that they can use. But it's good for us and good for them because they don't have to worry about it, and we don't have to either. So uh, most, uh, I'd say 60, 70% of them have ended up actually working with us. Uh, and everything's everybody's happy, you know. Maybe they're not so happy giving out money, but <laughs> but that's the way it is, you know. Nothing's for free, you know. And, and it's also our business, so that's the way we do it with with um, uh, the video bloggers. But also in in websites, and as I say, newspapers. And what we do there is we take them to uh, the copyright um, people in in Mexico because we we deal mainly in Mexico. And uh, we sit there and say, well, look, you've been, the last three years, we've got the newspapers here and uh, you've been using our photographs and we'd like to um, invite you to come and work with us. And some of them say, no, do whatever you want. So we do start procedures against them, right? Um, it's, it's the only way we can do it uh, because otherwise everybody would do it and we'd end up with... Uh, with no clients. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I'm glad that you're actually able to get, you know, sometimes have arrangements then made with people who who were taking the photos then become your business partners. That's kind of an interesting well, story. Some of them do, yeah. Um, some, and it yeah. works sometimes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess one last question I have for Adrian is... Um, I, I presume you live in Mexico, that you're, that you're Mexican... Um, is is it interesting or funny to you that you have shot one of the the most famous photographs anywhere about Team USA that becomes very important to USA fans? No, pues muchas gracias, muchas gracias. No, este, pues no, 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 no tenía la dimensión de cómo estaba por allá las cosas con esa foto, pero. Pero si es así, pues bueno, eh, pues quedará la historia entonces esa foto. <laughs> I can translate a little bit here uh, in the sense that it makes him very proud uh, that this photo has gotten so much attention in the United States that um, he was surprised, didn't realize it even, that it, you know, he's only now beginning to realize how, how viral this photo has gone and that it's important to American fans uh, United States fans uh, as well. Actually, I, I can just put a point in there. And the, uh, another thing that, that is important is the actual player who is in the photo. Because if it had been a, a not so well-known player, okay, they said the photo was, was great, but the fact that it was Pusic, uh, um, it's, it makes it even better. You see what I mean? And it, it, I, I was quite amazed how good the, the, this new U.S. team is. I mean, uh, a whole bunch of youngsters are, are in the region of like 22 to 26 and stuff, things like that. And it, that is incredible because I'm, I guess they're getting the team ready, not for the uh, next World Cup, but the U.S. World Cup in 2026. And this is the moment that they're... I, I think it's a great idea what they're doing. And, 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 and to finish off, uh, in, in a way, what I'm trying to do with, with um, Export is bring in new young talent and, and to, 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 so we have 
people coming up through the ranks, just just like a, a, a soccer player, and and they're really getting a lot of experience uh, by going to all these international events and. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot more Adrians uh, around very soon. Wonderful. Well, Adrian Macias and David Leah, congratulations on on this photograph, and thank you so much for taking some time to speak to me. Thanks very much for the invitation. Gracias, muchas gracias por la invitación, y síganos en Copa Oro porque para allá vamos. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Adrian Macias and David Leah, as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>